It's just after sundown, on the 19th of June, 1719, on the West African island of Principe. 25-year-old sailor Walter Kennedy skips a corner, almost losing his footing, sprinting through the narrow, cobbled streets that lie beneath the Portuguese fort. Pausing to catch his breath, his panicked, wild eyes desperately search for an escape route. Glancing back the way he's come, a musket ball suddenly ricochets off the stone wall above him. Seconds later, skidding to a halt next to him, comes his commander, Captain Howell Davis, pursued by several Portuguese militiamen. As another volley of musket fire follows, the two pirates set off again. They only narrowly escape the governor's mansion. Kennedy, Davis's quartermaster and second in command, can't help thinking that their bold plan to kidnap and ransom the governor was, in hindsight, completely delusional. They had casually walked in with 10 men. Now it's just the two of them, running for their lives. Through the candle-lit back streets, Kennedy leads his captain back to their boats, waiting in the harbour. But the younger man has to pause again for Davis to catch up. He stops again, looking behind him to see... Captain Howell Davis, standing motionless in the street. Davis reaches to touch his back, a scarlet red bloom spreading across his chest staining his lace shirt. The pirate captain collapses to the ground, dead. Kennedy is stunned. Blood trickles over the cobblestones. For a second, he's dumbfounded. But the sound of more musket fire sparks a reaction. Kennedy turns and sprints up a side alley. He runs up and up, climbing the steep streets, heading up towards the cliffs towering above the harbour. With no other way out, he takes the only route open to him. One most wouldn't dare to consider. Drawing a deep breath, he leaps from the cliff edge, diving through the failing daylight and plunging into the black water below. A short time later, a breathless, bedraggled Kennedy hauls himself onto the deck of the Royal Rover, still fraudulently flying the British Jack, anchored in the harbour. The pirates gather around him to hear the story of his escape, to discover the fate of their captain, and with Kennedy now being the ranking officer, to get their new orders. Despite his youth, He's respected by all, even feared. But right now, he's barely able to speak. To Kennedy's surprise and perhaps relief, another voice sounds from the rear of the deck. A young Welshman, Bartholomew Roberts, steps up and organizes the ship. The pirates pound the fort and harbor with cannon fire, unleashing a vengeful barrage 
while hurriedly making their escape. As they sail off into the night, no doubt the Portuguese governor of Principe sighs with relief and congratulates himself on repelling the invaders. But if he thinks he's seen the last of Walter Kennedy, he's very much mistaken. I'm Tom Morton, and welcome to Real Pirates, the show that dives deep into the true story behind the world's most notorious buccaneers. Join us as we set sail under the black flag, alongside such legendary figures as Blackbeard, Henry Morgan, Charles Vane, Anne Bonny, and Mary Reed. We'll reveal how these marauding mariners rose to dominate the seven seas, the terror tactics they employed to overpower their prey, and what life was really like aboard their ships. Their reputations have swollen to legendary proportions, making it hard to separate fact from fiction. Who were they? Terrorists or freedom fighters? Cold-blooded killers or heroic underdogs? As it turns out, the truth is far stranger than fiction. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. In mid-1719, Walter Kennedy would appear to be your typical Golden Age pirate. Like all his brethren under the black flag, his origins are unclear. But young Walter Kennedy will rise to be somewhat unique amongst his peers, an exception that proves the rule of who can live the pirate life, commit grave crimes, strike it rich, and still stand a chance of getting away with it. His colorful career will be attested to by more than one witness testimony, trial record, 
and legal deposition. It's a cautionary tale, and it begins at the key turning point in the golden age of piracy. Walter Kennedy was born in 1695, the same year Henry Avery's name was spread around the globe, the pirate of legend, the rags-to-riches sailor who married a Mughal princess and retired swimming in royal Indian treasures. Or so the story goes. But it's a story that would have been known to most young mariners of this era. The newspaper, the British Gazetteer, provides the earliest details. Walter Kennedy was a Londoner, born in Pelican Stairs in Wapping, where he had the opportunity of learning his father's business of an anchorsmith. He served Her Majesty Queen Anne in the wars against France. But, being told what lords the pirates in America were, he coveted to be one of those petty princes that he harbored these aspiring thoughts. As an impoverished child, Kennedy dreams of being a pirate king himself. Dr. Rebecca Simon is a historian and author of Pirate Queens, The Lives of Anne Bonny and Mary Reed. Henry Avery's life grew to legendary proportions after his disappearance. As time went on, people began to really start to romanticize this person. And so people began referring to him, oh, he was the king of the pirates. He was the greatest pirate anybody had ever seen. Madagascar was his kingdom. There was kind of this fascination of pirates growing in general in the early 18th century, that pirates were these men who were able to transcend their social station. Those who are born poor are suddenly able to become wealthy. And you can even argue that it's kind of this idea of Henry Avery becoming this quote-unquote king of the pirates sort of really starts this idea of pirates being able to break through all kinds of class barriers. Walter Kennedy was very much spurred on with these ideas and stories of other pirates he'd heard of, and he wanted to be a pirate because he'd heard about Henry Avery and Captain Kidd and so many other names from beforehand. And so it was kind of his goal to go ahead and become a pirate captain. 18th century chronicler Charles Johnson fills in some missing details on Kennedy's life in London. He having in his childhood been bred a pickpocket and before he became a pirate, a housebreaker, so Walter Kennedy is a criminal child who goes to sea. He joins the Navy and fights in the War of Spanish Succession. And by 1718, at the age of 23, he's a battle-hardened mariner with dreams of joining a pirate crew. Ironic then that his last honest seafaring voyage is serving under the pirate-hunting privateer Captain Woods Rogers on his mission to recapture Nassau and end the pirate scourge in the Caribbean. So in July 1718, when Welshman Howell Davis leads a mutiny aboard the Buck, Kennedy's dream begins. The crew turn pirate and head for West Africa. A year later, at the time of Howell Davis's untimely death on Principe, Kennedy has become a feared and respected pirate. He's risen through the ranks to become quartermaster, the de facto voice of the crew. He takes the lead when boarding vessels and takes pleasure in conducting the interrogation of their victims. Too much pleasure, perhaps. So it's no wonder that Charles Johnson records that Kennedy is also the natural choice to lead the pirates' revenge mission against the Portuguese island. 
about 30 men were landed in order to make an attack upon the fort. These men were headed by one Kennedy, a bold, daring fellow, but very wicked and profligate. They marched directly up under the fire of their ship guns, and the pirates set fire to the fort and threw all the guns off the hill into the sea. And they don't stop there. They also bombard the small town and sink a number of Portuguese ships anchored in the harbor before sailing away. But despite Kennedy's bravery, apparently this common seaman and former burglar isn't considered captain material. Following Davis's death, the crew elect another man to command them, Bartholomew Roberts, another Welshman who has only been with the company for a little over a month. Dr. James Rankin is a historian and an authority on pirates. I don't know why the crew ultimately selects Roberts over someone like Kennedy. Kennedy, he's only in his early to mid-twenties. He wasn't an officer prior to that. I mean, he was an ordinary seaman. He'd obviously sailed pretty extensively. I mean, he knew the sea, he knew maritime labor, and he was on the island of Princip when Davis died. But he certainly had to have at least accrued a fair bit of social cachet, I suppose, purely on the basis of his veteran status in the crew, right? He'd been around for a long time. It would be understandable if Kennedy resented being overlooked. But then again, as quartermaster, he's arguably more influential. The captain was the navigator for the most part and made the big decisions, and he is the one who kind of set down the rules. The quartermaster, though, in a way, actually had a lot more authority than the captain because the quartermaster is the one who made the ultimate decision of punishments. It was the quartermaster who made that decision of what goods to steal, how to treat the people they were attacking, and then deciding which goods were important enough to take and how to distribute them. So the quartermaster is the one who made all these big decisions to keep the crew happy, to keep the crew organized, and to make sure that pirate ships actually got the wealth that they were after. And it seems that the crew have chosen the right man to lead them. Roberts' captaincy soon brings them a fortune beyond their wildest dreams. In the autumn of 1719, sailing off the coast of Brazil, Roberts and Kennedy seize the Sagrada Familia, the greatest ship in the Portuguese's Lisbon treasure fleet. They take a spectacular haul, which some put at 90,000 Portuguese gold moidorish, more money than any of them could hope to spend in their lifetimes. They hastily steer the pirate fleet to Devil's Island, off the coast of modern-day French Guiana, to divvy up the loot. But Captain Roberts is soon distracted. After a day or two, he spies a sail in the distance and senses another easy win. He takes a small crew and the fastest vessel and sets off in pursuit. Naturally, he leaves his lieutenant, Walter Kennedy, in charge of the fleet and the treasure. The 32-gun Royal Rover bobs gently, anchored in the shallows of Devil's Island. As Kennedy watches Roberts's sail shrinking into the horizon, he casts a watchful eye up at the darkening sky. A warm, humid breeze blows in from the east. A storm is brewing. Sure enough, 
It's not long before heavy raindrops are bursting on the deck, and the ominous roll of distant thunder is closing in. A day goes by, whilst a tempest unfolds above. Then another. With Roberts gone, Kennedy is again the ranking officer. The crew look to him for answers. He feels the growing sense of unease. He can also guess what every man-jack of them is thinking about. The weight of all that gold, just sitting below their feet. On the third day, Kennedy gathers the pirates, and they discuss the situation. The longer they stay anchored, the greater the risk of discovery and capture. Perhaps Roberts ran into trouble. Will that trouble now come looking for them? Should they continue to wage? Should they sail out in search of Roberts? Or do they go their own way? A heavy silence hangs in the air. Most are thinking the same thing. Fewer hands to share the treasure with. It's impossible to know exactly how things unfold, but we do know that a vote is held, and Walter Kennedy is elected captain of the fleet by his fellows. Within a few hours, the Royal Rover makes sail, departing Devil's Island, leaving the now empty Portuguese treasure ship behind. Historians have long characterized this action as a cold betrayal of Roberts's trust, an embittered, ambitious quartermaster taking his chance of glory. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Now until May 12th, get up to 30% off personalized jewelry, style, decor, and so many other items mom will love. And if you want her to know you put a ton of thought into her present, use Gift Mode. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting so you can easily find well-crafted, original, and affordable pieces from small shops. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about mom, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated ideas based on hundreds of personas. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. For a group of pirates to kind of take off in the night with a whole bunch of their goods, that was unusual, and that was considered to be a betrayal. In order for a pirate ship to be able to really function and be able to survive, you had to have loyalty and comradeship, camaraderie, et cetera, et cetera, and the trust in order to operate successfully. But it's also possible that Kennedy may have just been making the best of a bad situation, acting in his crew's best interests. He may even have had little choice in the matter. The other side of this for me is if you are Walter Kennedy, you're on this ship, you're in the midst of an extremely dangerous undertaking, which is betraying Bart Roberts, right? Not someone that you would like to get on the wrong side of. And the crew says, we've elected you captain. Do you really want to turn that down? 
Sometimes I think some of these elections are really awarding this cursed scepter to someone who has to be the captain, right? And potentially wear the consequences, you know? Walter Kennedy probably thought to himself, what's going to happen if Roberts catches up with us? Things could get very ugly for us. If I turn down this offer of being the captain, are the crew going to decide that perhaps I'm a liability and put me on shore and sail off with someone else at the helm, right? I think it's very possible that Kennedy was someone who adapted to extremely fluid, evolving circumstances around him. And in that regard, he was certainly a survivor. In any case, 24-year-old Walter Kennedy stands on deck with his own command. With their hold bursting with booty, it seems his childhood dreams have all come true. But what next? How confident is Kennedy in his own abilities? And more to the point, how confident is his crew? It's likely that many harbor doubts. He may be the man for the moment, but the future is unsure. Walter Kennedy is a very curious choice as a captain because he doesn't have that experience. He did sail in the War of Spanish Succession, but he did so on a Navy ship, and he was not a captain. He wasn't even a high-ranking officer at all whatsoever. His social background doesn't necessarily help his situation. Now, you think that ideally you would want to be kind of from the same social class as your crew to put you on this equal footing, but In reality, the crew is going to want to make sure that their captain is someone who has more experience than them and who will have had the sort of training that they themselves would not have. The most famous pirates through history tend to be not only experienced leaders, but are also educated men from a higher social class. But then again, in recent years, gentlemen pirates like Edward England have often fallen foul of their rebellious crews. While Kennedy may lack education and social graces, He has risen to the top by virtue of his reputation. Not bad for a London street rat who only a short while ago was picking pockets for his survival. It's nearing winter 1719 and the pirates are sailing along the South American coastline, avoiding Spanish privateers and keeping an eye out for fresh prizes. But the crew is split on how to proceed. After all, their hold is already full to the brim with treasure. What more do they want? Many believe they should get out whilst they can, retire with the money they have, though others are wary of sailing into a European port, where tough questions will be asked. No doubt a few are just committed to the cause and want to keep on pirating. Given his background, many assume their Captain Walter Kennedy falls squarely into the last group. For someone like Kennedy to keep carrying on as a pirate after they've gotten loads of treasure, it's pretty simple. It's almost like gambling in a way. You've got this massive reward, and so you're going to want to keep getting more massive rewards. And also having sailed with someone like Bartholomew Roberts, where you've basically seen the successes over and over of getting so many large ships and goods and money, et cetera, et cetera. Kennedy, who has had ambitions since he was a child of becoming a really successful pirate, someone who has idolized former pirates such as Henry Avery and Captain Kidd, who are said to have gotten hordes of treasure, he's not going to want to retire. He's going to want to try the next really big thing. Despite being just 24 years old, Kennedy has lived a full life on the sea, both in the Navy and on merchant vessels. He understands his occupation. Live hard, 
die young. Surely he must consider the option of retiring rich, extremely rich, but it would mean giving up the dream of becoming a pirate captain of legend, as well as the authority, respect, and freedom he now enjoys. No, every man in the crew has seen the relish in his young eyes as he's tortured traders into giving up their wealth. His zeal in battle, the wild abandon in his eyes. No, Walter Kennedy is a committed pirate, pure and simple. It's a new year, 1720, in the Caribbean. After spotting a Virginian vessel around Barbados, Kennedy orders his men to lay chase. They run up the black flag. Kennedy has struck lucky again in terms of his victim. The captain of the ship is a peaceful Quaker who has no weapons aboard. Before a cutlass has been drawn, the Virginian crew cower and beg for mercy. And it seems Kennedy is in a merciful mood. The pirates take what they want, but leave a number of goods untouched, and even make a gift of 250 pounds of sugar and tobacco in return. It's almost a fair trade, albeit under threat of torture and death. Kennedy and most of the other men in this ship know that you can be potentially pardoned if you are captured. But the chances of that begin to evaporate as your implication in more and more serious crimes. In some respects, I think giving or offloading cargo that the pirates knew they had no real way to transmute into hard currency. If you don't have a fence, what do you do with hundreds of pounds of tobacco? It's probably going to sit in your hold. It takes up space, it slows you down, and it's not something you can really effectively sell. So this particular encounter at least, it certainly suggests that Kennedy was hopeful that he and his crew could avoid the sort of serious consequences that they were no doubt worried about coming down the line. Eight pirates also take the opportunity to break from the company, hitching a ride back to Virginia in the hope of returning to colonial life. The great split has begun. A few days later, the pirates take a Boston sloop off of Jamaica named the Eagle. The Eagle's British design will be less noticeable than the Dutch-built Royal Rover. It's time for a decision to be made. Stick or twist? Out of the 60 or so pirates, 47 men transfer to the Eagle, with the intention of giving up the game and sailing back to Britain. It seems only a hardcore 10 or so sailors are willing to risk everything to continue the pirate life. In any case, they have the 32-gun rover and they can depend on the skills and leadership of Walter Kennedy. Or can they? Stood aboard the deck of the rover, watching as most of the crew shift their shares of gold and silver over to the Eagle, Kennedy has the decision of a lifetime to make. Perhaps he thinks back to those childhood stories of legendary pirates, and also about how those tales ended. Henry Avery escaped to live out his days as a pirate prince, but he's the exception. Growing up in Wapping, in the shadow of Execution Dock, Kennedy knows better. He was six years old when Captain Kidd was hanged and left to rot in gibbet irons above the Thames. 
In truth, Walter Kennedy is in a far better position than either of those legends. He's an unknown, which is the key to getting away with your life. This is a dimension of pirate decision-making that I spend a lot of time researching, right? Is the interplay between the extremely rapid rise of pirates as sort of celebrities, right? Infamy and the decisions that they made, right? And I think in some ways, Roberts and Kennedy are two sides of this coin. Every Anglophone community has probably heard of Roberts. There are multiple newspaper articles describing in detail his many crimes. So there are things that are just closed off for him. He knows for a fact that he can't just sail back to England and change his name to Bartholomew Smith and it'll be okay. I think Kennedy's relative obscurity was an asset with regards to his plan of let's just cut and run, right? We've got an incredible amount of money. Let's not push our luck. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. They used to say, go west. What they meant was go forward. Find your own way. Make something out of nothing. It can be tempting to take it easy, but discovery doesn't wait. So this summer, see what it means to make the most of dawn, dusk, and every minute in between. The truth lies west. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. He takes a deep breath, gives a final look to his crew, and jumps aboard the Eagle to give up piracy for good. No doubt it comes as a shock to his crew. According to Charles Johnson, anyway, their surprise soon turns to bitter resentment, with many apparently harboring mistrust over Kennedy's deceitful character. Their captain, of whose honor they had such a despicable notion that they were about to throw him overboard when they found him in the sloop, as fearing he might betray them all at their return to England. Others may have just doubted his ability to steer them home and to safety. But then again, without another captain, what choice do they have? Either way, Captain Kennedy is now under fierce scrutiny. It's the first real test of his command. Also, the fact that Walter Kennedy does come from a background of pickpocketing, etc. You know, what makes them believe that he's not going to try to maybe pilfer a little bit extra from the goods that they steal? So this is kind of going to give some people pause, I believe. It's great on the one hand, he's kind of one of us, but how experienced is he to actually be captain? Because we're not. How is he able to do it? Either he has to be way better than us, so they're gonna have to hold him to a ridiculously high standard, or probably not a good idea. If it weren't for his courage and the fact he had taken them so far, the crew may well have cast their captain overboard. But young as he may be, Kennedy is a fearsome figure, a good man in a fight. And it's a long voyage home. He also has a plan. He suggests they sail for Ireland, 
where Kennedy has connections. It's less risky than an English port, and they can all slip back into society from there. Though many must suspect, it won't be quite as simple as that. So where you go, I think, is one factor that is, is pretty important, right? You have to sort of calculate between returning to a place where you might have goodwill amongst the community, you might have family members who are willing to potentially help you. And we have some great classic tales of pirates being found in basements and hidden in cupboards of, you know, friends and family. So that's certainly an appeal. The flip side of that is you could be recognized by someone who knows that you've perhaps been up to no good and that might get back to the proper authorities and things could go very badly for you. In the 1600s, pirates re-entering society was not at all unusual. As experienced mariners, they were often welcome at colonial ports, as was their gold and silver. But in the last 20 years, suppression of piracy has increased. This means no royal pardon or pity from colonial governors. The only alternative in 1720 for pirates attempting to re-enter society is to lay low in marginal communities and pray you aren't discovered. Wherever you go in the Atlantic world, news does not travel quite so fast in the age of sail as we're used to. So you know, it is possible to get ahead of your bad reputation. Your next order of business is to somehow take this plunder that you've accumulated and turn it into some sort of legitimate life. And that is, I think, the real tricky part because many pirates had hard cash but that cash would give them away as having been involved in some sort of unsavory activity. And particularly if the money you have is unusual, if it comes from somewhere far away. We get these accounts of people being like, yeah, this guy's got a lot of coins with Arabic writing on it. Pretty weird, right? There's a long stretch of history of people trying to do this, right? With varying degrees of success. With a fair wind and slice of luck, their journey should be an easy one. Unfortunately for Kennedy, Mother Nature has other ideas. On their way to Ireland, the pirates run into trouble. Dark clouds roll in, growing larger by the minute. The wind picks up, turning into a gale. Ironic, really, given their adventure was started by a storm. Inside the captain's cabin, charts and maps are being tossed on the floor with confusion. With a compass in hand, Kennedy frantically scans the parchments, desperately looking for answers. But he faces an insurmountable problem. He can't read, nor can he navigate. He snarls at the knock on the cabin door. The rain-soaked helmsman hesitates in the entrance. The crew are waiting for orders. Kennedy fiddles with his compass before snapping it shut, resolved. Sometimes a bad decision is better than no decision at all. He gives a new heading. The storm unfolds at lightning speed and they're headed straight for it. By now, the men have lost all confidence in their captain. Not that it matters. All they can do is man the rigging and try and survive the night. 
As the wind roars and the dark sea rages, the eagle is tossed about like a toy. The great weight of treasure dragging her dangerously onto her side. So a really good Golden Age pirate captain was one who was going to have loads of experience sailing. People who are going to sail under a pirate captain would hope that their captain had once been a captain before, or at least perhaps been a second in command, a lieutenant, a quartermaster, etc., etc. They would also want someone to be a very good navigator. But as they're sailing north, the crew discovers very quickly that Kennedy actually has no idea what he's doing in terms of navigation, and he's about to crash onto the shores. And so he's way more of a hindrance than a help. Kennedy is losing his battle with the storm. The ship is thrown off course. They struggle on through the tempest, but where they're headed is anyone's guess. It's February 1720, and the pirates finally spy land. Limping from the storm, the badly damaged eagle lurches towards the shore. Or rather, towards the great granite cliffs towering above them, and the waves breaking over jagged rocks below. There's a silent tension aboard the ship. The survivors await the inevitable. Many have accepted their fate. Kennedy still stands on deck next to his helmsman, doing their best to save the situation. They aim the bow of the eagle for a river estuary dividing the rocky peninsula. They prepare to ground the ship. Kennedy takes a long look around at the stunning landscape. Fjords and mountains with stone castles looming upon the hilltops. He has no clue where he is. But it's land. A surge of hope rises in him. Who knows? Could be Ireland. As the eagle crashes and lists over onto the rocky shore, for a moment the crew is stunned with relief. Before a desperate scramble ensues, it's each man for himself. Banding into parties, they haul what they can carry off the ship and scatter into the hillsides. Heartbroken to have to leave so much of their priceless cargo, it's now a matter of survival. It won't be long before news of the shipwreck gets out. Kennedy chooses a single pirate he can still trust. And together, they make a run for it. There's no safety in numbers now. Quite the opposite. As the pirates flee, dragging chests of gold, sacks of silverware, and bales of silk, they leave a trail of evidence behind. Portuguese coins are strewn across the shores of Argyle, Scotland, where for many, their great adventure will come to an end. Next time on Real Pirates. How will the pirates fare back in Britain? It's not long before rumors of wealthy shipwrecked sailors spread. 
Sheriff's Deputy James Campbell is quick to pick up the trail. Walter Kennedy faces a true test of character. His past and present experiences must guide his bid for freedom. Will his rags to riches story end with him back in rags again? Will he return to Wapping? And if so, will it be a hero's welcome home? Or a dated execution dock? Find out next time on Real Pirates. Real Pirates is a Spotify original from Parcast, produced in partnership with Noiser. Executive produced by Max Cutler, Drew Cole, and Pascal Hughes. Developed by Julian Boireau for Parcast. Produced by McAllister Beckson. Written by Aman Khalid. Sound supervisor Tom Pink. Edited by Carla Flores and Rob Plummer. Sound design by Matthias Torres Sole. Mix master by Cody Reynolds Shaw. Music by Oliver Baines and Dory McCauley. <laughs>